0: You're listening to a podcast presentation of Hillside Foursquare Church in Reno, Nevada. Hey there, I want to invite you back towards the seat. We're going to be continuing in our series, going through the book of Acts. We'll be in Acts chapter 11 today. One of the things that we learn from Jesus, and we learn from being in relationship and in community with His people, is that if you want to grow in your relationship with Christ and with other people, you will have to follow Christ's lead. There will be times that your your compass, your direction, the the way you think you need to go, will need to be redirected by Jesus. That's why he, he refers to us in Scripture as sheep. And he refers to himself as a good shepherd, Ideally, we can see the idea of Jesus being a good shepherd as he leads us where he wants us to go. He, in Psalm 23, it talks about uh, how he leads us uh, into, what is it, beside still, he makes me lie down beside still waters, he leads me in green pasture. So you'd think, if you like peaceful things, you'd think, you know what I want to do? I want to go to a very quiet place in the middle of nature. This isn't Louis talking, this is normal people. Uh, In the middle of nature and go and enjoy, there's a bubbling brook and a green pasture. You think, yeah, I'd love to hang out there. But scripture tells us that in our own efforts and our own desires, we won't go to the places and to the things that we need. And he's actually one that leads us. Jesus said in, in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, he said, If you anybody wants to be my disciple, you need to lay aside your selfish ambition, take up your cross daily, and follow me. And I have found in my life, I've been following Jesus. You know, I prayed to receive Jesus when I was about three on Easter Sunday. And I know I recommitted myself or committed myself with full knowledge of what I was doing when I was... Uh, about 16, and I have discovered that my sense of right and wrong, my sense of what is good and just, my sense of what is fair, my sense of morality, my sense of grace, all of those things have been challenged by God as he leads me to follow after him. And it's easier to follow a person sometimes than it is to follow Jesus because we can see a person And sometimes we equate the wounds we get from following people with following Jesus. Over and over again, I'm hoping that you will hear us repeat the same thing the Apostle Paul said. You can follow me, but as I follow Christ. You can imitate me, but as I imitate Christ. I'm broken. I am doing my best to live humbly and submitted to Jesus with my life and then to invite people to do the same and following after him? With my best efforts, I can mess up. Please don't equate me and my mess-ups with Jesus because he invites us to continue to follow after him and to pursue him. That's not a caveat to say, and let me tell you about all those mess-ups now. (laughs) It's just part, it's, it's humanity. It's us, it's our story. Jesus does not call us to be his people to follow him because we know all the rules. We're going to talk a little bit about this more in detail today, but the people who had the biggest problem with Jesus, God in the flesh standing in front of them were the ones who knew all the religious rules and who were the religious leaders of their day. And they missed him. Religion and religiousness the pursuit of a doctrine or practice of belief system that is devoid of the grace that comes from Jesus and the person that's revealed in Jesus will separate us from Him and from His people. Think about this. One of the things that comes up in a message today is that there are people who are frustrated that non Jewish people who are not keeping the rituals of Judaism, including circumcision, including the feasts, including the festivals, including the 613 commandments, they are receiving equal salvation from Jesus. And they are mad. We can look at that and say, can't believe that. Those foolish people. Where do we do the same? Who is your person? What is your people group? If you think of Jesus offering salvation to them, the same salvation based upon repentance and turning from sin and turning to him, if that's offered to them and they received it, who for you would that be a hard time? It's a rhetorical question. Think on that. Ultimately, who makes the final call? Jesus does. Jesus is the one who knows hearts. Our job is to do the very best we can to put into practice everything we know to do in our relationship with Jesus. And one of the primary ways he identifies that we're walking with him is our love for one another, our kindness, which is love in action. May that govern our behaviors. Acts 11. Now the apostles and the brothers, might say brothers and sisters and yours, who were throughout Judea, heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him. I laugh every time I read that. I'm sorry. I'm just thinking of these guys. You've got your Republicans. You've got your Democrats. You've got the circumcision party in the back. (laughs) With their signs. What's on their signs? The circumcision party criticized Peter saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. You know, all kidding aside, this is the sign of a church at a crossroads. Of course, Peter's news. By the way, did you hear what happened with Peter? He supposedly had this visitation in Joppa, and he was supposed to go to a Gentile's house, and he went inside, and he ate with them, and he baptized them in water, and he said, it's all good. What's up with that? And it's spreading like wildfire. Everyone is talking about it. So Peter gets back. And the leaders of the church like, Peter, we want to have a meeting. We'd like to hear the why behind the, you know, the, the change in a couple thousand years of Mosaic Law and how you did this. You know, not mad, just want to know what's going on. I mean, there's a lot of things that have been happening. You know, Philip in the middle of the desert with the Ethiopian eunuch. That was kind of off. He just shows up. I just imagine, you know, Philip running next to the chariot. Can you understand what you're reading? How can I unless someone reads it, explains it to me? He's like, stop the chariot. And, the, and then he disappears after praying and baptizing this guy. So they're open to it, but they want to know what's going on. But more than that, there's a group of people, and they've already made their mind up, and that's where the circumcision part is. Those Jews... Who are so concerned that if salvation is going to happen, what are the things they really need to know? I mean, like the really important things. Yes, grace and all those. But isn't circumcision important enough? I mean, isn't it, it God? It was given from God to Moses himself. How could we, you know, depart from this? And pretty soon it, it turns into, well, what about the traditions? What about the rituals? What about this? And so they're with him and saying, "You did this wrong." You know, how could you explain yourself? It's interesting because I wonder, who would those guys be? And I flash back to Acts chapter 8, where it talks about many of the, those who were priests were being added to the faith. And I'm betting that the leaders of the circumcision party were the people who were the most well-educated, most well-versed in the religious law for the Jews because that was their basis for standing in the relationship within the community of the Jewish people. And what they're seeing happen, if the circumcision party is seeing this happen, if you don't have to become Jewish and don't have to be circumcised, don't have to keep all the Jewish r- rights and Jewish laws in order to be received into the family of Christ, then all the stuff that they have had, it's not nothing, but it's inconsequential for everyone. And for them, that's not right, that's not fair. There's all sorts of other stuff that goes along with this. I think back to a couple of different scriptures. There are many, but one of them is in Luke chapter 2. There's an old man named Simeon, and God has told him, you will not die until you see the Lord's Christ. Basically, he's told you're going to see the Messiah before you die. And so for decades he hangs out in the temple waiting to see the Christ. And one day he's there and he sees a a young couple come in with a baby. We know them, Joseph, Mary, and it's going to be baby Jesus. On the eighth day the baby is named and circumcised. And as as this child comes in, the Holy Spirit speaks to Simeon and says, that's him. And Simeon is very excited. And he goes over to them and says, can I see the baby? Now, this is not unusual. If you see uh, my Eloise here, she's about three and a half months old. She's like the cutest thing, cutest thing I've ever seen in my whole life. I'm prejudiced. But you under, you see a baby, people are just like, oh, you know. You, you see um, these children that are showing up at church. It's like, oh, I want to see the baby. This isn't what Simeon's doing. Simeon says, God told me I wouldn't die until I saw the baby. God told me I wouldn't see it. And he goes and he lays his hand upon the child. And he says something to the effect of, you know what, this is going to be a light not only to the to the children of Israel, but it's also going to be a light to the rest of the world and a light to the Gentiles. Basically prophesying that up until this point, God had reached the Jews, and people who wanted to be reached by God had to be either convert to Judaism or to become a God-fearer, kind of on the the outskirts of Judaism. But in this situation, he's prophesying this is going to be something that blesses the entire world. Jesus himself talked about in John chapter 10, he talked about himself as a good shepherd, but he said, you know what? I have sheep that are not of this sheepfold. He's not talking about literal sheep there. He's talking about people, and that's the nations of the world. You read the prophets, and it talks about how all these nations were those that opposed Israel, often there's a punishment that's attached to it. But the part that we skip over is that there's a redemption and a salvation for those that will turn to Christ, the promised one that's coming. God's desire is that all humanity would be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth as found in Jesus. That's his hope. That's what he wants to see happen. We get incredibly territorial as people. Our group becomes the group that we're most concerned with. I can remember a few years ago, back in the time, if you remember, our, when we would set up about four to six tables over here and four to six tables over, over here and then chairs in front of it, I had someone come up to me after church and say, um, I was sitting by a new person today. And I said, you know, good on you. Someone has to do it. That's great. I'm glad you did that. it's important to extend fellowship like that. And I said, remember when you said that Jesus wants all people to be saved? I said, yeah. I was reading a scripture. I said, well, they leaned over and said, but not the Arabs. And I said, what'd you say? I said, um, I think he means the Arabs do. <laughs> it's like, I think he does. And the next week I, I brought it up. I didn't know if the person was there. I didn't know who the person was. But at the time, you know, most of my lifetime, the United States and the Western world has been at various stages of battle or war in different parts of the Middle East. And it's been funny because we don't even necessarily need them all to be Arabs to loop, loop, loop them in together as just people group, you know what I'm talking about? That nice discriminatory way where we call them those people. You know what I'm talking about? And we're righteous because we're a Christian nation, right? Are we? And we can start to think about ourselves as being the Christian soldiers for Jesus and the other people, the bad ones, were bringing his judgment and restitution. And that's not what Scripture reveals and that's not what Scripture says. And there's a whole bunch in the Bible about you can tell what people are about by their fruit. America, our fruit is not great. God's desire is that we would experience the same grace that he's offering to other people as well and not begrudge it to those people who he chooses to extend it to, but instead that we would be messengers, emissaries of grace. Bringing that which has been offered to us, to others. Joni and I spent two and a half weeks in Germany in November. It's actually made this year very challenging because I still think it's mid-November in my brain because I was gone, now I'm back. And it was funny to me as I'm watching World War II movies on the plane home where we're killing the Germans, saving Private Ryan... Band of brothers, you know know what I'm talking about. I was just hanging out in some of the place where those battlefields were with some of the descendants of the people who were dying in those battles. Standing arm in arm with them as brothers. In one church we were, I, I mentioned we were surrounded by people and looking at, we've got people from Middle East, we've got people from Palestine, people from Israel, we've got people from Ukraine, people from Russia, people from all the stands you can name. And we're all there gathered, not in the, holding our flag and saying, we're here representing, we're all there, people of every tribe and tongue under the banner of Jesus. And that's what he invites us to is to not hold on to our nationalism to a point or a religiousness to the point that it begins to interfere with our relationship with other people. We're identified, according to Peter, as people who are strangers or aliens on this planet. That doesn't mean you come from somewhere else. That you're from planet, you know, pick one out there. That's not it. It's simply saying this is not our primary identity, not our primary home as an American or wherever your, your nation of origin is. It's there, but ultimately we have more in common with another believer from who knows where than sometimes we even have with people in our own family. That doesn't mean we turn our backs on our family. It does mean we don't embrace this adversarial nation-against-nation mindset that so is such a part of our, the world system that we're part of. Jesus did not come politically, militarily, or economically or even religiously to start separating us into our little groups so that we, you know, we get to heaven, we can say, where's the people who went to Hillside? Well, according to tradition, we'd be scattered all over the place. When we get up there, there will be every tribe, tongue, and nation represented, but I don't think we're all standing in our little lines. I think we get to mix it up. That's a breakdown of religious stuff that keeps us separated. For this church at a crossroads, it's something that Jesus started running into over and over again when he would sit down with tax collectors and sinners. We think tax collectors, we think IRS. In the Roman system, if you were a tax collector, you were a Jew hired by the Romans commanded to collect a certain amount of tax and anything over you could keep for yourself. So they were considered traitors to their people. They were also considered thieves because they could take whatever they wanted. And they were also hated by the Romans because they were a useful tool, but they would never be a part of them. So they were kind of in between groups, hated by the Jews, hated by the Romans, very wealthy, hated by both groups. And Jesus says, let's sit down and talk. Let's eat. The problem with eating together is it's a declaration that says, you and me, we're the same. We're breaking bread. We're dipping our bread in the same au ju. You can't do that with people that you think are unclean. One of my favorite activities at the hillside is during the week we have a preschool. And we've got anywhere between 80 and 100 kids, depending on the day. And I like to go into the classrooms during lunchtime. And I'll go into the two and three-year-old's classroom. I've got a couple grandkids. I'll go into the baby class. I can tell you what I do not do with those children. I do not break bread with them. I do not share food with them. It's you enter wearing a hazmat suit, maybe. These are filthy creatures, okay? Okay. And we keep them clean. We keep those children clean. We're We've got people devoted to you know, washing the hand and doing all this stuff. But I can tell you, I love them with my whole heart. They want to share their food, but where's that food been? <laughs> you get what I'm saying? In the same way, you can, we joke about that. There were people who would not even take something that was offered to them from a person who's from a people group that seems to be unclean. And they would treat them as like... Never. Jesus went and sat with them, not to endorse what they were doing, but to, to endorse them as human beings worthy of receiving the grace of God. And that's where religion says, well, shouldn't we hold them to a standard? we got to draw the line somewhere. That's religion. Religion needs to draw the line somewhere. Okay? Saying that, one of the reasons we offer communion every week the only caveat to, the, to people who receive communion is that you've started a relationship with Jesus. Not that you've got your stuff together. Well, doesn't it's say in the Bible you should examine yourself. Yes, it says that. But it doesn't mean, you know what, you shouldn't eat it. It says, receive. Communion, the Eucharist, is the table of grace. And as such, it's open to whoever, in whatever stage they happen to be, to come and to receive the body and the blood, the body broken for them, the blood that was shed for them. I've heard it said, well, you need to draw, there needs to be a standard. Somebody should be able to say, no, you can't receive it, you can. I think that's Jesus. And our job is to open up the table here. This doesn't mean there are no standards and there's no guidelines and there's not things you know, occasionally hoops people have to jump through but not to receive Jesus. It's more when we go from the receiving Christ and receiving justification or being made before God just as if you'd never sinned because Jesus paid the price. Once we get to that spot, then there's the sanctification or being made holy where we're being transformed where our character's being renewed, where our integrity is emerging, where we're becoming the same person congruently all the time. One that honors Christ 24 7 Monday through Monday through Sunday. Those are the types of, if there's if there's checks and balances, you start to see them in the character side, not in the grace side of justification. Does that make sense? I mentioned earlier one of the biggest challenges to Jesus' ministry were the religious people. They were constantly opposed to Jesus because he went about doing business in ways that violated their sense of propriety. And really, it comes down to a couple of things. The Pharisees were a religious group that believed if they could just live a holy enough life and keep all of Israel on a good holy path, that God would bring about a revival. And so they had a very strong prescribed series of behaviors that you engaged in and then stuff that you did not. Some guys, some rabbis, some teachers over a period of time started doing something, people are getting awful close to violating the holy, holiness that we put out there, the scriptures. So what we need to do is we need to, I don't know if you've ever gone b- bumper bowling. They put bumpers up so you can't roll a, a gutter ball. They created bumpers. So that way we're going to make it so people don't even approach this They don't even approach violating the law. And over time, they began to equate their bumpers or their hedge, their bubble suit, with the actual law. If you think about times when the Pharisees were upset with Jesus, there's a couple times where they were eating food with unwashed hands. That doesn't mean the disciples were, you know, were out playing in the dirt, spitting and rubbing their face and, you know, doing filthy things, and they just go into the table and eat. No, the Pharisees had a very strongly prescribed bumper way of making sure everybody was clean, ritually clean. And it reminds me, if, if you're a fan of the Marx Brothers... You may remember an old Marx Brothers movie where Groucho pretending to be a doctor and he goes into the preparation room and he's washing his hands. And he's doing this washing of hands for the entire scene. Every time he meets somebody, he shakes their hand and has to go back and wash his hands some more. It gives you the picture of it's not about washing your hands. It's about, look at how clean my hands are. Look at what I've done. And then the writer of the gospel says, and by the way, they did this with the cups. They did it with the plates. They did it with the bowls. They did it with everything. And so they weren't complaining about these guys are eating with dirty hands. Like, uh, they're not doing, they're not jumping through this hoop we want them to do. We we want them to, you know, put, put, honor what we put out there to honor the law. Make it sound nice. And Jesus says, it's not what goes into people that makes them dirty or unclean. It's what's coming out. It's your words. It's your actions. That's where you guys should be concerned, he says to them. He, he made a comment, you know, back in the day. It was, it, it could potentially violate the law if they ingested an insect accidentally. And so they would put the strainers over their, over their wine and over their water. And they would strain out the gnats because they didn't want to consume a gnat just in case. They didn't want to violate it. And he says, you guys strain out gnats. And you swallow camels. I mean, come on. You're so concerned about, what if you get a little buggy? It's not the bug. How about you hating and gossiping and being destructive and tearing people down? These are all things that speak to us. Because these are people who want to follow God. They hadn't come to Jesus yet. In this room, maybe people who haven't come to Jesus yet, but I'm guessing a big chunk, if not the majority, if not all, have been in that spot saying, yeah, I want to follow Jesus. Then we're going to be confronted with adopting either Jesus' standard, which is I'm going to submit myself to him and I'm going to honor him and be led by him, or I'm going to adopt a religious standard where I try to make sure I don't mess up. Here's my list of things I don't do. Jesus intentionally, when he was asked to sum up the law, when he was asked to to share what the most important commandment was, he took all 613 and he wrapped them up in two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Do those things, and it will sum up all of the law and the prophets. He didn't say, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. He said, do this. That's what I hope you take today. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love people. Encourage the same. Rejoice when you see people turn to Christ. Peter gives his testimony. He gives a defense of his actions. He tells the entire story. And there comes a point where in Acts chapter 11, verse 16 through 18, he comes to this, this epiphany and says this. I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? And when they heard these things, they fell silent, they being the circumcision party. And they everybody else glorified God saying then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life because of the divine intervention because God put his divine stamp on this they have nothing to argue with can you say if God doesn't have a problem with it why do they why do I this last part of chapter 11 is really fun because we get all that in-depth information about what's going on with Peter. There's all heaven breaking loose in other places where the same thing's happening, where people are just sharing the message of the gospel with non-Jews, and they're coming to Christ, and they're being baptized. They're being baptized with the Holy Spirit. So we see on one hand, Peter's case, what happened with Cornelius, and we have another situation where it's happening all over. Let's look at this. Acts 11, 19 through 26. Now those who were scattered back in Acts 8 This is Jerusalem, and when Jesus had told them in Acts chapter 1, you're going to be my witnesses throughout Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, so to the south, to the north, and then to the ends of the earth, that's what he's talking about. When the persecution arose in uh, Acts chapter 8, most of the persecuted people ended up coming up this way. There's a mountain range that kind of creates a a natural barrier here, so they were headed up this way, and they ended up kind of gathering in Antioch, but there's a whole bunch of people who also got on boats and ended up in Cyprus, so Antioch becomes this central gathering spot. It's a place where um, it's kind of a a mixing spot, and it's mostly non-Jewish, and so Whereas in many of the other places, Caesarea included, there would be a majority or at least a a larger number of Jews. In a place like Antioch, it's a place where you've got people from all over the place. Uh, Roman citizens who were born there, Roman citizens who bought their way in, people who've been gathered from all over. It's a huge melting pot of a city. And in this spot is where those who had been scattered are beginning to share the message of the gospel. Some of them only shared with the Jews according to the traditions. But those from Cyprus and Cyrene began to share with just anybody, and it created a mess. And you know what? Sometimes, I'm not saying we need to embrace every mess that comes along, but every once in a while, God creates a mess, and it's much better than the most ordered thing we could ever do. Who authorized the men of Cyprus and Cyrene to share the message of the gospel with the non-Jews? Who told them they could do that? Um, actually, Jesus did. Go make disciples of all nations. Jesus did not say in Matthew 28, um, I need you to check their card. Make sure you're dealing with just the Jews, okay? Just all nations. In the Greek, it means all, okay? All nations means all. And so they're doing it. I mean, imagine coming across people and it's like, I wish I could tell them about Jesus, but they're not like us. We laugh but we do it, and the guys from Cyprus and Cyrene is like, heck with it, they need this. The people that you come in contact with don't need to be lectured, but if you have opportunity to share the reason for the hope you have, do that. We bring a message of hope in Christ. In times of hopelessness, in times of disease, in times of oppression, in times of lack, in times of isolation, In times of abandonment, we have a God who saves, who heals, who restores, who makes new. And He's using us, for some reason, as His ambassadors to be messages of that hope. Not that we are the ones that have it, but we're the ones who we experience it and we get to tell people Jesus has this for them. Does that make sense? They're gathering. Barnabas goes up there, the son of encouragement, he gets up there. Man, this is awesome! this is awesome. And he says, you know what we need? I got to get Saul. So he jumps over to Tarsus, gets Saul, comes back, and for a year they taught there. It was funny. Last night I was watching Michigan versus Iowa for the college football uh, Big Ten championship, and they interviewed this probably 18 or 19-year-old kid afterwards. He'd scored a touchdown. And uh, the interviewer comes up to him and I said, hey, can you tell me what, what did Coach Harbaugh say to you? After you scored that touchdown, it's so. all. He said, I done good. He said, Kid, you did good. And then he hugged me, and we were happy. <laughs> and I'm like, Yes. And it was awesome. Not because he said something profound, but because it was so simple. Something was shared, it was celebrated, and there was joy. And I'm thinking, there's a message of the gospel in here somewhere. What happened? What did he say? He said, you did good. That's what Barnabas does. He's the son of encouragement. That's what his, his name is Joseph, but he, he just goes around. Carrie, you're doing so good. Sean, I'm so proud of you. Heather, you too. Debbie, how can I start? Oh, many, so many things. Showing up at a Bible study as an 18-year-old with a football table in the back of your truck just because we have free food. Goodness. <laughs> you love Jesus with your whole... It's like, this is... You've done Good. That encouragement has a way of helping people keep going. It's fuel in their truck. Be that. Not the one that say, this isn't proper. If it's really not proper, it should be not proper to Jesus too. Not just not proper because, well, that's not how I was raised. If you hear those things coming out of your mouth, that's not what I was taught. Well, what about Jesus? What does he have to say about this? Well, he has more grace than I. Well, he wants us to adopt him, his standard. There at Antioch, they were first called Christians. Why? Because there's a huge people group rising up. Who are these guys? Are they the Jews? Well, there's not just Jews there anymore. They keep talking about this Jesus guy. Jesus. And so they're they're called little Christs, Christians, followers of Christ, not just the Jews, not just the Greeks but those who are centered on Christ, the anointed one, Christ the Messiah. What are we doing with this? I don't know. I think religion is attractive. How do you combat when religion wants to take over and take the seat from where Jesus belongs in your life? We start finding your life defined more by the things you don't do, the groups that get excluded versus the things that God's inviting us towards and who he's calling to the table. Who would you have a hard time extending grace to? Inevitably, as Americans, at least for me growing up, we had our person. Our person was Hitler. Hitler, and I don't mean like he was our hero. (laughs) It's like the opposite of that. He was like, yeah, but people are bad. Well, I'm not as bad as, as that. I'm not as bad as Hitler. You know what I'm talking about? Where we have our, who's the worst person you can think of? We can probably universally agree Not a good dude, right? Okay. When it comes down to it, you start hearing stories about people who have lived terrible lives, who near the end or at the end of their life make a profession of faith and turn from their sin and ask God for forgiveness. Can they be saved? Thief on the cross says yes. It doesn't uh, mean that everything that they did was ever Wiped away, except by Jesus. They still receive consequences. There's a woman years ago named Carla Faye Tucker who brutally murdered several people with an axe. In prison, she became a Christian. She was up for the death penalty. And people are saying, you know, she shouldn't die because she's a Christian now. And the families were saying, we need justice. And she said, you know what? I'm guilty. I should receive the penalty. Because I know Jesus has paid for me. And when I die, I'll be present with him. And she was killed. That's, that's a hard thing for the church to deal with. It's a hard thing for people to deal with. What do we do with that? And yet it's even harder for us to deal with the religious person that lives inside of us, that starts to split in between different things that are our pet peeves. In all that I'm praying, God gives us his grace, his hope, his life, his love, that we lift our eyes off of our own circumstances, those around us, and we pick up his banner as we go forward. In Jesus' name. There's going to be prayer available right back here. I think our prayer team today is Willie and Diane. Be right back by the, by the, um, Charles back there. But as we go, I want to bless you. Say, may Jesus bless you and keep you. May Jesus make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May Jesus turn his face toward you and give you peace. As we go forward on this first day of Advent in hope, may you experience the hope of Jesus both for yourself and also as a person who carries that banner of hope for other people. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great rest of your Sunday. This has been a podcast presentation of Hillside Four Square Church in Reno, Nevada. You can reach us via email at web at hillside4.org. That's w-e-b at hillside, the number four, dot org.